Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Jeremiah had said that he would forgive their iniquities. Now Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood that is shed for you. Jesus is the one who instituted the new covenant. Would there be any reason for us to reject it? Would there be any reason for someone who is Jewish to reject the new covenant and go back to the old covenant? Jesus brought the new covenant, and the new covenant is what sets us free. Free from the consequences of sin, free from having to follow the law or a list of do's and don'ts. The new covenant secures our eternity with Jesus. Here's Robert Furrow with more from Hebrews chapter 8 and everything we need to know about the new covenant. Jesus instituted the new covenant. Luke 22:20. 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper. This is him giving communion to us. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jeremiah had said that he would forgive their iniquities. Now Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood that is shed for you. Jesus is the one who instituted the new covenant. Would there be any reason for us to reject it? Would there be any reason for someone who is Jewish to reject the new covenant and go back to the old covenant? And remember, that's what's happening in the days that this was written. There were Jewish Christians. They, they had given their lives to Christ. They were living for him, but they were being persecuted. There were difficulties and they thought, we'll just go back to Judaism. We'll just not follow Jesus anymore because those things in Judaism speak of Jesus anyway. And so they were going back to the law, having a relationship with God by the law and giving up this relationship with Jesus. Why would we go back? Maybe things would be easier here on earth, but you're going to give up walking with him, being, being called a Christian, living for him who gave us this covenant. The fourth thing that we need to know about the new covenant is the new covenant takes away sin. Now, I've already referred to that in Jeremiah. I already referred to it with Jesus saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, the shedding of my blood, which we know from Ephesians is for the remission of sins. But listen to what Romans 11, 25 through 27 says. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God's going to bring the entire nation of Israel back again, at least the vast majority of them. And then he says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the new covenant is to remove sins. One more verse, and then we're going to get to the fifth thing, and that's Hebrews 9, 15. And for this reason, he is a mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So now we know the first covenant is the law, that those who are called may receive the promises of an eternal inheritance. Not only is it the forgiveness of our sins, 
that we were found guilty under the first covenant by, but that we receive an eternal inheritance. I don't know, any of you guys here have a relative die, maybe parents, and leave you a big inheritance? I, I bet you if there are any here that have had that happen, there's a lot more of us in here that have had parents die and leave us no inheritance, right? But we have God. When we die, we will receive an inheritance. We are co-inheritors, according to the book of Ephesians, with Jesus. It is so valuable that in Corinthians, when Paul's getting ready to write to the Corinthians about all their problems, in chapter one, Paul says to the Corinthians, you have everything. I think the Corinthians thought they had nothing, but they had it all. We have an inheritance with Christ. The fifth thing that everyone should know about the new covenant is that we, the church, the ecclesia, that we are servants of the new covenant. We are ministers of the new covenant. The word minister simply means servant. And it is the word for household servant. We raise the word up today. Yes, I'm a minister. You're a servant. That's what it means. And so listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Who also made us sufficient. So God's doing the work to make you sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. God makes you sufficient as servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter, that's the law, the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, the law brings death, the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. This is why we're the salt and the light. This is why we have been given the keys to the kingdom. This is why the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Because we are ministers of a better covenant. This is so important to us because not only are we under this new covenant, not only are our sins forgiven and we have an inheritance by this new covenant that is so much better, right? After we start looking at it, but we are actually servants of this new covenant. Hebrews 7.22 says, but so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. The, the surety, the word is an interesting word. It's, it's akin to credit. It's like when you put up your house as collateral. Jesus is the, I don't know if we want to say collateral of the new covenant, but he's the surety that it's going to happen. The new covenant is active because of Jesus. And those are the five things that we should know about the new covenant. Now let's go on to look at what chapter eight says about the rest of it. It says in verse seven, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Again, the context cannot be denied that the first covenant is the law of Moses. You can, there are, there are ad hoc arguments. An ad hoc argument is an argument that's just made up. There, and a lot of people do ad hoc arguments. If you're talking, if you're witnessing to somebody and they start just asking you questions, they just start saying things like, well, Jesus never existed and, and, and the Bible was written hundreds of years afterwards. They're just, they're not looking at the evidence at all. They're not making an educated statement. They're just ad hocing. They're just make, they're just throwing out arguments. And that's what this, this, that would be an ad hoc argument. When someone says, well, the, you know, this isn't the law of Moses. Uh, okay how what, what's your 
What, what's your scriptures? What's your evidence for that? Well, it just isn't. It's talking about something different. It's talking about something else. But it makes the connection and the context says it. So people could say whatever they want to say, but we can go back to the context and we can look at it ourselves and we can read it and see what it means. Verse 9. Well, let's get back to verse 7 again. Let me just read verse 7 again. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would be sought for a second covenant. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So he's quoting Jeremiah 31, which we already read. So the law had, it wasn't faultless. Now you, you got to be very careful here when you're talking about it because Paul said himself in Romans, the law is not bad, the law is good. So when you talk about trying to describe what does it mean that the first covenant was, uh, ha if the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need for a second one. What does it mean that it was faultless? It just means it was weak. It just means it couldn't save you. It could show you your sin, but it couldn't forgive you of your sin. Even when you went and sacrificed animals in it, your sin was only covered. It was not done away with. And you had to cover it and cover it and cover it. Jesus takes away the sin. And then in verse 9, he says, not according, and this is again, he's quoting Jeremiah here, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. It's interesting that many of the quotes that you find in the Bible are not from the Hebrew Old Testament, but from the Septuagint, from the Greek copy of the Old Testament. And so there's a slight difference when you read Jeremiah than you read the New Testament because we're going from the Hebrew over into English when they're going from, from Greek into it. But he's basically saying the same thing. You didn't keep the law. It wasn't God that broke it. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach their neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Again, the new covenant forgiving sins. And then verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, I like the way that's worded. It's, it's not done away with. It's not horrible. It's not ugly. It's just obsolete. There's a new covenant now. You don't use a typewriter anymore. Why? Was a typewriter bad? It helped you type letters. It's better than writing them out, right? You even had that little erase paper you could put in there, thump and erase something that you made, right? But a typewriter's obsolete today. Right now we have to live with printers, which is a nightmare. I understand. <laughs> right. Setting them up, getting them to work, getting ink in them, having them not stopping in the middle of a print job. Can you tell that I have frustrations with my printer at home? But it's obsolete. Uh, typewriters obsolete. So we don't have them anymore. Except if you're really somebody who wants uh, really an old, an old soul, you might still have one. So the law is just obsolete doesn't say it was bad, doesn't say it was horrible, just obsolete. This, this is what it says. 
The first is obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. When this was written, they were still going into the temple and giving sacrifices. This was written before 70 AD. But God was about to do something with the law. He was about to destroy the temple where they would not be able to go and give the law anymore. He was about to scatter the people of Israel all around the world, taken captive by the Romans, murdered by the Romans, surrounded for four by, and, and sieged for four years. This is why Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives and wept over Jerusalem because he said, this day's coming upon you. They didn't have to have it happen. If you look at what Jesus said when he wept and cried for them on the day that he rode the donkey's colt into Jerusalem, it was because they didn't receive him as the Messiah. And they were taken captive and they were led away. The temple was destroyed. When Jesus walked from the Temple Mount over to the Mount of Olives a week before, his disciples said, they showed him the great stones of the temple. And Herod's temple, the remodeling of the second temple was really good. I mean, amazing bricks, amazing building, amazing building quality. And they said to Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, by the way, look at these bricks that Herod used to build this. And Jesus said, tear this temple down and in three days I will raise it up again. Which we're then told in quotes, I mean, in, in parentheses, this he didn't speak concerning the temple, but his own body. That his body was the temple that would be raised up in three days. But then when he sat down with his disciples, they said, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And he eventually said to them, he said, make sure no one deceives you. But he eventually said, not one stone will be left upon another of the temple. And today, when you go to, to Israel, there's not one stone on the temple mount from that temple. It was a 10 story high building. And every stone by 125 AD had been removed from that temple mount. Even as Jesus said, it was gone. Even if you wanted to keep the law, you couldn't anymore. When this was written, you could. So what's he saying again? Verse 13, and we're going to close. And this he says, a new covenant has made the first obsolete. Now what has obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. So that if people from Israel today even want to keep the law, they can't. They can try what they want to and they, they can keep some of the dietary laws and they do. And they also break them. But he changed it so much that they couldn't. Don't you think it would be even a different deal today if the temple was still standing? That even as, as Christians, people would be saying, people say now that we have to keep the law. There's Gentile Christians who tell you you have to keep the law in order to be right with God. Can you imagine if the temple was still around? They'd be like, you got to go and make sacrifices at the temple and be right with God. They would, they would do that. But God hasn't allowed that so that we would know that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And the new covenant has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this chapter and for all of the passages in the Bible that tell us of this new covenant. We are so thankful that, that our sins are forgiven. We are so thankful that we have an inheritance that is a co-inheritance with you as the older brother, as the firstborn. We have it all. 
And Lord, we pray that we would walk close with you. And I pray with those that may be struggling with the law, may be struggling with the Sabbath, may be struggling with keeping certain parts of the law. Lord, I pray that they'd be set free from all of that. That they would know the Bible is so clear that those things are obsolete and, the, and we're living the better now. Why would they go and hang on to something that is a shadow when we have that relationship with you of the new covenant, even spoken by Moses and Jeremiah? We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few minutes. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here momentarily. But I want to give you an opportunity to be born again if you have never been. You, you may consider yourself to be a Christian. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. But Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. If you are only born in the flesh, you will not see it. But you have to be born again in the spirit. And Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That was in John 3. In John 4, he said, those who worship me must worship me. The day is coming when those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So you have to have your spirit brought to life. You have to be given that life by God. You have to receive him and invite him in. You have to turn towards him and away from sin. That you might say, Lord, I'm ready for you. Here is my life. I want to be yours. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want your law written on my heart. I want to have my spirit come to life. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, everything becomes new. He's going to transform you. He's going to change you. You come to him just as you are, but he transforms you and changes you. If you would like to give your life to Christ today, it's as simple as receiving him. John 1, 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. You don't have to receive him. You're volunteering for this. No one's forcing you. No one can make you become a Christian. You have to say, Lord, I want you. But it's also important to know, John 6, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. So if you are considering becoming a Christian today, it's because God's drawing you. God wants you. He's the one that initiated it. You're responding to him. If you would like to give your life to Christ today, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. Lift it up high so I can see it. I just want to make my way around the room. I want to acknowledge the hands that are raised. And I want to pray with you. God bless you. That's awesome. Right there by the aisle, that's great. All right, if you're online as well, you can respond. And I pray that God would be speaking to your heart and you could just say to him, now I want you in my life. The same thing is true if you're listening on Reach Radio. We're giving people a chance to commit their lives to Christ. And if you're driving down the road, God's drawing you right where you are right now. Just call out upon his name and receive him now. I would like everyone, including the gal who raised her hand and anybody online or on the radio who's responding, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned and I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life. 
that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. It's very exciting. We have a new believers table that's over here on the side. We've got a team of people that are there. We want to give you a Bible and a new believers packet. I believe that we have uh, new King James Bibles and I think that we have new living translations as well. The New Living Translation is just a little easier to read. If you're a new Christian, it might be helpful to read that. Then you can get into a more of a study Bible as you really begin to pour and dig in uh, to the Scriptures. But we want to give them to you. And a New Believers Packet that helps you to know now that I've made a commitment to Christ, here's what I do. Now, if you're online, you can send us an email to saved at calvarytucson.com. Tell us your story. Tell us what God did. Give us your little testimony. We'll have people who will respond and communicate to you through email. You could also send us a text Ready for Jesus to 94,000. You're going to get back a link. Click on that link. It is our New Believers card. Fill that out and we'll have people from the church who will get in touch with you and get you whatever help you need to make sure that you come out of the starting blocks running well for Jesus. We just want to do everything we can to make sure that you have a good, solid start, that you finish the race with boldness. All right? Now I want to pray for you, but I'm going to ask that you would pray for people that you know as well, people that need to know Jesus, uh, people that may be struggling with addiction or struggling with depression, struggling with a mental issue. Whoever you know the struggles they are, our prayers are powerful. The Bible says, let men everywhere lift up holy hands and pray. So I'm going to ask men and women both to lift up your hands and you begin to pray for those people that you know that need to be prayed for. And I'm going to pray for you as you pray for them. Father, I want to pray for those that are here, those online, those listening on the radio. Lord, first of all, I pray for those that are struggling now maybe struggling with their faith. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. Give them what they need to stand strong for you. I pray for those that are struggling in their Christian walk. Make them strong in you. I pray for those that are struggling with sin. Give them victory over sin. Show them how they can control their thoughts and begin to walk before you in purity. I pray for those that need a physical touch, a healing. Lord, you've said to lay hands on the sick and they would recover. And so we pray for those who are sick here today and ask that you'd heal them. I pray for those that are distraught, can't take anymore, that are down. You said you are close to the brokenhearted. We pray and thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by him to be a servant of the new covenant, ministers of the new covenant that will have not only forgiven your sins and given you an inheritance, but can forgive the sins of those you know, family, friends, coworkers, acquaintances who need to know Jesus. May God use you as light, as salt. May you use the keys to the kingdom that God's given us, the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're going to see people come to Christ. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. 
our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.